0: So, climate change is our first issue for this week on Hello London Radio. And what are we going to talk about? What are we going to say regarding climate change? Remember the famous Greta Thunberg, the the schoolchild who's been causing such a stir amongst the older generation as she goes around saying, how dare you, with regard to the way we squander our world's resources. How dare you, says Greta, the youngster that's all calling us all to account. And here in Britain we've had the movement Extinction Rebellion fighting against climate change, fighting for a better better policy on behalf of the government with regard to zero emissions. And what's the government's response? We've had a, I'm just talking about Britain now, we've had a pathetically weak Queen's speech, one of the worst possible on that issue. Climate change is just mentioned in passing in the centre of the thing, rather than being a prime issue. Um, That's trouble with Britain. We've got an a government obsessed with Brexit. And we'll talk more about that issue later. But um, And meanwhile, the British Metropolitan Police, the voice of the establishment and the police commissioner, have banned protest uh, by Extinction Rebellion in the capital. A pathetic, weak-willed, lily-livered gesture by an incompetent establishment that are not coming to grips with the issue. Um uh, what is the issue? Well, we can uh, talk about alternative energy, and let's start with nuclear power because this is a beloved solution trumped up by by various people. It's hugely expensive, massively expensive. Nuclear power is is cost heavy, cost heavy because you have to reprocess the fuel that it, and and the waste of the blooming reactors. I mean, it is. Uh, a vast problem. Uh, much of Britain's Lake District has 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 nuclear waste buried underneath it. Uh, Sellafield, you know, the great nuclear pro- reprocessing plant of the world. Well, Britain cannot absorb the waste of the entire nuclear waste of the entire world, although it's been doing its best. Uh, the um, there may be fast bucks involved in reprocessing nuclear waste, but it is not an answer. It's not an answer whether you you bury it in China or you bury it in the Sahara Desert or you bury it in Britain's Lake District. No, uh, we need uh, this. This is an expensive, expensive, expensive business, and it's also hugely dangerous. We've seen accidents, Chernobyl which have uh, caused vast problems with nuclear power stations. We have seen the influence of, and that, that was an accident by human error, we've seen the influence of climate on nuclear power stations. Now, Chernobyl has, um, has has meant that a whole swathe of territory is uninhabited for generations, uninhabitable. Uh, weather climate, we've seen in Japan. There's a whole swathe of northern Japan that's uninhabitable for generations because a nuclear power station was damaged by extreme weather, by storm. Um, and what we haven't seen, but we will see, give it time, is a nuclear power station damaged by war? Uh, only, I mean, imagine if there had been a nuclear power station that had been vulnerable to drone strike in Saudi Arabia and some Houthi uh, missile hit it. Um, boy, you'd have a whole swathe of Saudi Arabia that was uninhabitable for a generation Uh, No, and and it's the foolishness of building these things anywhere. They are dangerous, dangerous, dangerous for the ordinary people of the world. And they should not be built. They should not be built. They should never be built. It's not the answer. Um, Now, we do need an answer. 20 fossil fuel producers have produced 35% of the world's carbon dioxide CO2 since 1965. Just 20 of them. So we need an alternative. And the alternatives are wind, water, and sun. And we need to develop these alternative sources of energy fast. The Middle East has. Um, has it got 20 years to go as a major oil supplier for the world? I don't think so. Not the way things are going. Uh, at least. Well, at least 10 years. Yes, it's got 10 years. Has it. Um, Perhaps it's got 15 years, but 20, no. It'll take time, but we are moving away from oil dependence, from dependence on oil and gas. And the developed world will move faster. And when I say the developed world, I'm talking particularly of Europe. America, is, the United States of America, is behind Europe on this issue. But, but Europe, uh, I would say, um, by 2035, for instance, will no longer use oil will no longer use petrol. Um, and, and in my view, within the lifetime of the young younger people in this uh, world, well, well within their lifetime, for goodness sake, by 2045, the developed world, and particularly Europe, will no longer use natural gas. This is a trend that is irreversible. Irreversible. So... Um, the Middle East should plan for that eventuality and be aware, as far as the Gulf states and the major oil-producing states, that their gravy train will end and it's already, the world's moving in that direction fast. So what do they do? Well, I, I think, I mean, you're talking about, if you're talking about GCC states that are majorly dependent on oil and have... Are cash-rich at the moment, um, they should try and develop technological centres of excellence, in my view, because one thing I know, having lived in the Middle East, is the Arabs are better at maths and sciences by a mile than people in the West. I mean, you know, Arab children are years ahead of their counterparts in the West when it comes to maths. They may not be in some other subjects and there are real problems with rote learning in the middle east and some of the approaches to that but what is most certain is that the middle east is well advanced compared to the west with regard to maths um i mean it's, I, i've got i've had school children i know the situation they studied in the middle east they came back to the britain and they were years ahead of their counterparts here in the uk and, um, uh, you know, because, because the levels of mass education are, are so low, the expectation is so low of children who have sharp little brains and can deal with that. I'm just saying, technological centers of excellence in, in the uh, Arab world are for science and maths and, and for the high-tech industries that depend on them. I'm talking about computer sciences and so on wow, the Middle East could do so well in taking a lead on this. And the non-oil-producing non-oil states like Syria, Lebanon, and the others, well, how about a little emphasis on alternative energy? I am struck by having traveled all over the Middle East by um, the way, for instance, in Israel, all water is solar heated. And often it's an easy question peasy lemon squeezy solution they have uh, you'll see for a start in israel water tanks are always on the roof so in summer you won't be heating your water with electricity that thing is is boiling hot just from the sun um but you see that in in you do see that in jordan to an extent but throughout the middle east no many homes have uh, ridiculously heat their water with electricity in the middle east come on i mean wake up uh, look at israel i mean okay in midwinter you might need a reserve immersion heater but the throughout the summer months and well into september i mean and no there is no need for <laughs> there's no need for anything but solar power to heat your water anyway uh, i'm just saying this i'm i'm rambling on but um but the point is that, um, that there is, there are ways in which the Middle East is ahead of the West, by the way. This uh, we could do a bit by looking and listening to each other. I mean, I lived in the Sultanate of Oman for years, the Sultanate of Oman, down the bottom of the Arabian Gulf. Lived, in, lived there for six years. Now, one of the ways in which they are environmentally streets ahead of Britain and Europe is their, the way they sell their electricity. So, what it, where it works is that you pay so much a unit in the Middle East, in the Sultanate of Oman, for your power, like you do in the West, like you do in Britain, like you do in America. Um, but then what happens? So, you use your first thousand units at that price, your second thousand units are double the price. Okay, got it? Double, the price doubles for your second thousand units. Okay, that's pretty much a kick in the teeth. Your third thousand units and above, the price double-doubles, quadruples what it was for your first thousand units. Now, um, and this is the policy in the Sultan... A of Oman with regard to the sale of electricity. What does this mean in environmental terms? It means that if you're an ordinary Omani with a little house to heat, or in rather what it is really is not the cost of heating, it's the cost of air conditioning in the summer. So, let's uh, a little little house, small uh, small scale, uh, normal Omani with a little house to air condition, it costs you almost nothing. But if you're a rich Omani with a big to air condition that takes thousands of units of electricity, it costs you an arm and a leg. And this is a very useful way of people make, being made aware of the, 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 the value and the need to not squander electricity. I mean, why don't we do something like that in the West? We don't because we're streets behind the Sultanate of Oman. And in other ways, too, but I'll talk on that, about that on another occasion. Now, uh, you're going to say um, it's all very well. The West may uh, may do this, but what about places like China and India? They can ignore all this and go on burning fossil fuels. No, they cannot. No, they cannot. Quite apart from the international political pressure, over time, there will be a climate change, climate tax levy on international goods. It's inevitable so that we have a level playing field so that countries that are squandering the world's resources get a tax on their trade of goods. And I think that'll come sooner than people imagine. So watch out, China and India, if you go on being major polluters. I know Britain had the luxury of being a major polluter in the Industrial Revolution. I'm sorry you don't have that privilege. The world has to change. Britain and America, of course, will have to take a lead. America is pathetic in the way it's not behind the the cue ball on this one, but, but we will have to take a lead. Now, what about personally? Can you do something? Yes, you can. Vegetarianism helps. Oh, yes, it does. You may not like to hear that, but meat eating makes for methane uh, because cows and so on are ruminants and they they belch. Uh, it's it's a problem. It's a real problem, and so we have to reduce our our dependence on meat from ruminants like cattle, and to a lesser extent, but also significantly sheep, um, but cattle in particular. Um, so beef uh, is, is very expensive to the environment, and yes, vegetarianism would help. Uh, you could make that gesture on behalf of the climate of the world. It would make a difference if more people turned away from eating their beef burgers from McDonald's. I'm sorry, but let's be blunt. It is expensive to the world. But there's something else you can do. You know, I've um, I got a sweet niece called Isabel. She's a lovely lady and uh, she's uh, an environmentalist. She works for the RSPB. And uh, what did she do the other day to get home from Cornwall? To Essex, um, in the from Cornwall in the west of England to Essex in the east of England, she jumped on a short haul flight. Do you do that? Do you jump on short haul flights, and claim to be an environmentalist? Now, I'm not arguing against flying. Of course, we needed flights to take us to the Middle East or or even to um, to Europe. Uh, well. Perhaps not from London to Paris, but you know, further afield to Rome and Greece and so on, and, and to the southern south of Spain. Yes, we need flights. Uh, we need flights to um, take us across to, to the United States of America. We need flights to take us to Australia. But you realize that the big burn in terms of fossil fuel, in terms of aeroplanes, is on takeoff and landing, and there is no excuse. No excuse, uh, no excuse at all for anybody who pretends to be an environmentalist to take a little short-haul flight when rail travel is available, or bus travel is available as an alternative. I mean, you're looking, um, look at it. The, uh, the People take flights from Cornwall to London. People take flights from London to Paris. People take flights from London to Scotland. I mean, there are good, fast rail links for these places, uh, let alone bus. Uh, There is no excuse. What, are you saving yourself an hour or two? I'm sorry. And you pretend to be an environmentalist? I'm sorry. You are a vegetarian? Well, stuff it. It makes not a squodge or not a squidgin of difference compared to the way you're burning up fossil fuel, by taking a short-haul flight. You don't need to do it. You can take the train, take the train, take the bus, go another way. But short-haul flights are hugely environmentally damaging because they're not necessary. Simply that, because they are not necessary. We need flying. Of course we need flying, but not for little pidgely pidgely little journeys. No, that is climate change negative. So change your behavior. Okay, I, this is not preaching for me. I'm not perfect myself. But I tell you one thing, I shan't be taking a short haul flight from London to Cornwall, not as long as I live. So um, let's let's try and do what we can for the environment. Let's try and make a difference we should we must and the world needs this from us okay god bless you more to talk about okay bye